Father, we uh, come before you and we want to understand what your will is in all areas of life. You give to us directives, you give to us commands, you give to us direction on how we're to live, how we're to conduct ourselves in life. And concerning prayer and being watchful and thankful, I I pray that you would give us insight, uh, insight from your view, not from ours. And we'd be able to use that to strengthen ourselves as well as others. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a a king by the name of Hezekiah. He was one of the good kings, but he didn't do everything good. I don't know that there was any one king that did everything perfect. We don't know of anyone in Judah or in Israel to the uh, the northern kingdom. No one did right totally in the eyes of the Lord. But in Second Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 11, <clears throat> I'm going to read it to you here. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of the people, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. A poultice of figs, you take figs, you mash them up, you heat it up, you put it on a cloth, and you apply it to the area of skin that is affected. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, What will be the sign of the Lord that the Lord will heal me, and then I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Isaiah answered, This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or shall it go back ten steps? It is a simple matter for the shadow to go forward ten steps, said Hezekiah. Rather, have it go back ten steps. Then the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the ten steps it had already gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. And so as the sun is setting, or if it's rising, you can see the shadow move on the steps as it's reflected there. And of course it went backwards, which means the earth would have rotated backwards or the sun in the sky would have seemed to have gone back the other way and so that was the miracle that came from the request of hezekiah through the prophet isaiah and he pleaded to the lord through a prayer he said lord please he he, it's not a supplication it's a beseeching it's getting in there and really just pouring out your heart saying lord will you you spare my life. And the Lord said, yeah, okay, I'm going to spare your life. After that, there were some things that Hezekiah did that weren't good. But the Lord gave him 15 more years of life. And I believe he prayed the prayer properly. Uh, It was uh, the proper motivation in his heart. He He didn't have anything in his heart that he was withholding from the Lord. There were no circumstances that would have hindered the prayer And so the Lord answered it. Now, yesterday, I'm going to tell you a little story and give an application from this. My son and I, we were working on a roof, and we had to put in a new fascia board going across. And we did that a couple days before, and we looked at the fascia board where one part went together according to the roof line, and it kind of went up. And we said, "Well, well, we can't do that. It has to be level all the way across or straight we didn't know if the roof itself was going to be level but we knew it had to be straight so he thought of a way of doing it i thought of a way of doing it and i thought we need a long straight edge to put up there we can pull it down and we can see where the pinnacle is and we can drop it down accordingly a half inch or three quarter inch and so i grabbed there was aluminum ladder there so i grabbed it i stuck it up there and oh yeah eight feet we can see exactly where the line is my son he got a little bullet level a small level like this 
And he said, no, we can put a level on there. I said, it's just too small. You, you can't tell. What if the building is not level? What if the run of the fascia board is not level? And so he kept on talking and he insisted on doing it. I said, okay, that's fine. Go ahead, do it. And I noticed his level on the bottom. There's a little magnet where if you wanted to stick it on something metal, you could. And you could see if it's level like on a fence post, a metal fence post. And so as I'm on a ladder looking up, he's on the roof looking down. I noticed there's a drywall screw on the magnet. So he walks over to the fascia board. He puts it down, and I can see the screw on there. He puts it down, and of course, I know the bubble is not going to be right in the level. It's going to look like it's pitching at about 5 or 10 degrees. And so he tries it there. He walks down the other side. He tries it over there. He walks over by me. He tries it there, and I said... You have a screw on the bottom of your level. Every single measurement you just took is inaccurate. It's not right. It's off. It's not going to be true. It's not going to be right. And he turns to me and goes, you let me do that three times before you told me there's a screw on the bottom. And we kind of laughed back and forth on that. And either way would have worked. You know, we just had a different way of looking at it. And we got it straight. Well, reflecting on that... The level was not right. It was going to give us a false reading. It wasn't going to give us a good reading at all. We weren't going to get the answer that we desired because of that just little thing that was on there that he couldn't even see, but I could see it. And so maybe we're not praying properly like that little screw, not measuring properly. Maybe there's things we're doing that are inappropriate, wrong, wrong-minded, wrong-headed, and that's why our prayers are not being answered. Now, I think if you're like me, maybe you've poured out your Lord or to the Lord a request and say, Lord, would you answer this? And maybe he does, and maybe he doesn't. Or maybe the answer is yes, or maybe the answer is no, or not yet. And I'm still waiting on some not yets there, and hopefully that's a not yet and not a no. Uh, but the Lord will direct. I understand that. And sometimes asking amiss, James talks about this. What causes fights and quarrels among you in chapter 4? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something and don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. And so we're asking for the wrong reasons, according to James, at least on occasion we do. So what does the Bible have to say about prayer? Because Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, those three things there. So concerning prayer, the Lord promises to answer us. Psalm 91 verse 15, he will... He will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And James fifteen seven says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. And these things are predicated on you asking according to the will of the Lord, that there's no hindrances to the prayer. Prayer is commanded. Pray continually. First Thessalonians five seventeen, Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So it tells us how we're supposed to pray. Now, prayer is described in the Bible as lifting up of the soul, lifting up of the heart, pouring out the heart, pouring out the soul, calling upon the name of the Lord, crying to God, drawing near to God, crying to heaven, beseeching the Lord, seeking after God, seeking the face of the Lord, making supplication. And those are just a few of the ways that prayer is described to us in the Bible. And the Lord moves in response to our prayers, even unexpectedly. Uh, In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Imagine being in a prayer meeting. All of a sudden, the whole place, earthquake takes place, and everybody gets filled with the Spirit of God, you know, or uh, some fantastic prophecy comes through or something like that. And that's how it happened in the book of Acts. Now, what is the purpose 
of prayer. The first thing on the list, I think, that we need to recognize is it glorifies God. Uh, John fourteen thirteen, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. That's the purpose of the prayer, the primary purpose. Also, that our joy may be made complete. John sixteen twenty four talks about if we pray to God, joy fills our heart. If you've ever had a prayer answered that you've longed for and it comes to pass, you are able to experience the joy that the Lord would give you. And also, Jesus, his joy is made complete as well. Uh, in John sixteen twenty four. Until now you have not asked me for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Also, uh, to bring God's blessings on others and ourselves. First Timothy 2, 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live in peace or live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So we're supposed to intercede for others and offer thanksgiving. If you've already been listening to the verses here, it's like prayer and thanksgiving, thanksgiving and prayer. All of those things are supposed to go together, specifically those two. And once those are answered, according to the Lord's will, the joy comes after that. So you always want to be thankful for everything. And that, that would be when you wake up in the morning, thank you, Lord, for a good night's rest. You know, thank you, Lord, that you woke me up at 3 a.m. to pray. Thank you, Lord. You, know, you want to give thanks in all circumstances, whatever those circumstances might be. And then why do we, or who do we direct our prayers to? There's always been a question through my Christian experience. Well, you pray to the Father in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and it never says pray to the Holy Spirit. And if you pray to the Holy Spirit, is that wrong? Can we not do that? And should we pray to Jesus directly also? Is that acceptable? Well, certainly we are to pray to the Son, it says... John fourteen fourteen. you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So you can go directly to Jesus. You can ask him. You go to the Father. It says, but when you pray, Matthew 6, 6, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And as I just said, there's no mention of praying to the Holy Spirit, but it is not prohibited the holy spirit is god that the thing with the trinity at least as far as our limited understanding is concerned the father seeks to lift up the son and glorify him and give him all glory and judgment it is going to be him and jesus is the one the spoken word that spoke creation into existence and that happened by the power of the spirit moving across the face of the waters and creation or you remember the story out of genesis and if you pray to the Holy Spirit, it is not a sin because the Holy Spirit is God, the Son is God, the Father is God, and it's okay to do that. And if you don't pray according uh, to the formula, in Jesus' name, is your prayer not going to be answered? How many prayers do you think have been lifted up to the Father without mentioning Jesus' name that have been answered? Have there been any? <laughs> the odds are, Yeah. Uh, there have been some. He, we're just recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And so you ask in Jesus' name, it's okay. But if you forget or you, you, you don't include that, well, you know, the Father knows. But I think it, it's a good practice to do that. I was once asked to open up a little league season. They asked me to come out and say the opening prayer for the season. And I walked out uh, to behind home plate or out in the mound. I forget which one it was. And I said this prayer and I ended it in Jesus' name. And of course, not everybody there is going to be a believer, but I said in Jesus' name. And uh, I could almost feel the, oh, the angst of some who were there praying in Jesus' name. Because what if there were... Uh, some people who weren't Christians or they were Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and they have a different view of Jesus. I'm not worried about that. I just pray according to what the Bible says and the Lord will bless it. I can't worry about what other people think or what they'll do because of a simple prayer. 
But you know, I, I think it is now in the legislatures across the land that you don't want to be exclusive. You want to be inclusive. So you don't want to mention Jesus, but you can mention God. And you don't want to mention Yahweh, but, uh, you know, you want to keep it nebulous. You, you just say that the deity that is there. And that's tragedy because this country was founded on Christianity, biblical principles that come out of the Bible. It wasn't established on Hinduism. It wasn't established on Buddhism. It wasn't established on the teachings of Muhammad and the Quran. None of that happened in the beginning of our country. Even in the beginning of our country, we uh, engaged in wars against Islam, against the Muslim raiders, which were there. And so uh, it is our habit in this country and has been to have believers. Even I think it was John Jay or one of the founding fathers that said, you cannot hope to survive if, as a country if you don't live by the principles of Christianity that are in the Bible. And I'm paraphrasing that. Another uh, founding father said the people elected to office must be decisively Christian and there's a moral standard that had to be maintained. And if you do any history, uh, look in any history on the founding of the United States, you can go to Wall Builders with Mr. Barton there, and he'll fill you in on all of that. So we should not be hindered in doing so, especially because Scripture says so, praying in Jesus' name, praying to the Father, praying to the Holy Spirit, that's good, and not be hindered in our efforts to seek after God. And then you have the Lord's Prayer both in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and through verse 4, and Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And I'll just read it to you. This is Jesus praying to the Father, giving us an outline of how to pray. Not that we just pray the same prayer over and over. And we can, we can repeat it. But the Lord is relational. Imagine if you showed up at home, and you turned to your spouse, you turned to your kids, and you had the same phrase every day, and that's the only phrase you ever said. Hello. Good morning, good evening, and good night. And you walked out, and that was what you said every single day. It's like, is there anything else you want to tell me? Uh, anything else you want to relate to me? But Jesus just gave us the outline. Because the disciples, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Of course, that's a little different from the Matthew chapter 6, a little variation there. And if the Lord wanted us to repeat it exactly like that, he would have given us two exact copies of the same thing and commanded that. Now, what's the posture of prayer? Does it make you more holy to play, uh, pray in a particular physical position? Uh, should you pray with your hands up <clears throat> like this, lifting a heavy load? Or should you have them up like this? Or should you have them together? Should you lock your fingers? Should you bow your head? Should you look up? Should you lay flat on the ground in the position of the cross, feet together, face straight to the ground? All of these are positions acceptable to prayer. It's not the position that makes the prayer effectual. It's the heart that the Lord sees. According to his will, he answers the prayer. Uh, Moses, he lifted up hands in Exodus chapter 9, verse 29. It says, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. And 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. And so that would be like this, like yeah, like high five, you know, not high five the Lord, but you get the idea. You're putting your hands up. Also kneeling, Ephesians 4.13, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Abraham, Genesis 19, had his face to the ground. Elijah had his face between his knees. Standing in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, so if you're standing in the attitude of prayer, now here, it says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Or bowing, Genesis 24, verse 26. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. So however you want to pray, whatever position you want to be in, go ahead, have at it. Just knock yourself out. Uh, standing, hands up, hands down, hands together, uh, whatever it is. 
whatever your particular mode of prayer is, it's going to be acceptable to the Lord if the heart is right. The only caveat that I would give to this is don't do it for show. Remember the Pharisees? They did things for show. And and I remember... um, Chuck Smith, he would talk about worship service, that if you wanted to stand up and raise your hands and stuff like that during the worship, just go to the back of the church. Don't do it in the front of the church. Don't sit in the front row because everybody that's behind you is going to look at you and they're going to have an opinion of you. They're going to say, oh, they're so spiritual. They're standing and raising their hands. Or it's going to be, They think they're so spiritual. Look at them. I know who they are raising their hands like that. And and so there's going to be all kinds of opinions formed while you're standing there and the focus is going to be taken off the Lord. And so that's why Chuck would say, you know, if you want to do that, fine, just do it in the back. Don't do it in the front, in the first row or the third or fourth row. Now, the power of prayer, there are hindrances to prayer. And of course, we all know sin is a hindrance to prayer. Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And it's not that, huh, what? I I can't hear. He's not doing that. It means he's not going to listen to whatever the prayer is. Isaiah 59, 1, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities or sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. So again, it's not that he can't hear. It's that he chooses not to listen. And then if idols are in your life, an idol is a way to hinder any prayer. Son of man, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. These men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? So there's something that they desire more than being with God. And that's in the heart. And then there's stumbling blocks that are in front of them. Uh, It can be idols made of wood, made of stone, made of gold, all of those things. Those are idols. And the Lord says he's not going to let anyone inquire of him that has an idol like that. Or wrong motives. I already read to you, James, you want something for yourself and you say lord if you give this to me and you i'll give a tenth back to you and it'll all be good you know anything that we get belongs to the lord anyhow and so we don't want to make a request to god just so we benefit monetarily that type of thing to where it makes our lives easier not that you can't make a request to make your life easy it 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 is in the heart it's the corruption of the heart oh this will so benefit me that's not really the reason the reason that you would pray is that it glorifies God it's like Hezekiah He, he appealed to his life prior to his becoming ill and he said Lord you know I I served you with my whole heart I didn't deviate from the way and that's with the uh, predication or the idea that you know I, I can still do this I can still go on and glorify you so he healed him it benefited his life so we can do that and then if you doubt, James 1.6 talks about that, you're being double-minded in all your ways. It's like um, the young bride that says, I want to get married and I think he's the guy. Well, I don't know if he's the guy. There are red flags. Uh, well, maybe he's the one. Oh, look, look how good he is. It's just like going back and forth. Should I spend the money on this? Should I not spend the money on that? Should I buy a new car? Should I buy an old car? You think about those things, but then you just can't make up your mind. You can't. I'm going to use a phrase, pull the trigger, so to speak. Have you ever had that a salesman say that to any of you? Just pull the trigger. Come on, you can do this. And he's trying to motivate you to go forward, to make the deal, to close the deal. Well, you want to make sure that you're not doubting. Just just ask the Lord, say, Lord, if it's your will, just open the door. I'm going forward. And if it's not, prevent me. Or you can say, Lord, I'm going forward on this. And I know whichever way that I choose... If I don't go with it, if I do go with it, I know I've asked you, I've placed it before your feet, and whatever happens, you're directing it, and it's going to be okay. And some people make decisions after prayer, and it's a mistake. But do you think God uses that mistake to correct the individual and bring them on? He does. He uses that as well. That's Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So... We don't have to doubt. We just place it before the Lord. Say, Lord, this is the plan. 
I know you'll direct and you can rest in that. <coughs> Husbands who mistreat their wives, they will have hindered prayers. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the glorious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So if you don't respect your wife, husbands, the Lord's not going to listen to your prayers. And you want to treat them as weaker, but an equal and co-heir with you of the grace of God. And pride. Uh, Job 35, verse 12, he does not answer when men cry out because of the arrogance of the wicked, just the prideful heart that's there, or the neglect of the poor. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Now for us in our day and age, who are the poor for us here you know, the, the poor, the homeless, there's this appeal that a lot of money needs to go to the homeless. And over and over and over, I have heard the experts, even some of the politicians who have been on the streets to see what the homeless are going through. The homeless, by and large, who are on the street, it is either because of drugs or mental illness. And they want to be there. They do not want to get off. And when you encourage that kind of behavior, like, for instance, in some cities, Oregon and Washington, they are not only providing needles, but they're providing houses in which they can go in and they can take the drugs, a safe place to be a drug addict. I just saw this morning a video on the streets of Philadelphia. Just broke my heart. First, the trash just littered the gutters up and down the streets where this person was driving. And you saw a video of people. They're walking in a slouch position. They're shuffling their feet. Their head is down. Then they look up. Then they turn to the right and left. Then they stumble. Lots of people up against the buildings that are just either sitting there or in almost a comatose state while standing up in their particular districts in Philadelphia where it wasn't just one person, it was dozens of people along the streets that were suffering under the effects of some hardcore drugs. Some were unconscious, just laying on the ground. Others, like I said, in semi-conscious state. Others just standing and not moving. Uh, but most of them were not communicating whatsoever. And you can tell they were under the influence of drugs. And to allow those people who are homeless and poor to continue in that state, I believe that is neglect to do that. Where we should grab them, pull them off the street, require people to get into a program. And if they choose not to, well, you don't want to support the drugs and the homelessness that is out there. I personally, I believe it should be illegal to sleep on the sidewalk. I believe it should be illegal to set up a tent in a city. If you want to do that, if you want to be a camper, go camp somewhere. But in the city, it's not good. And the problems within the inner city, look at San Francisco, what has happened in San Francisco. It's just a terrible thing. But neglecting the poor, most of the poor in the United States have a couple of TVs, a car. Uh, they have food. They have all kinds of uh, places they can go to for sustenance and clothing. And I, I think that that's good for the people who are struggling, especially people who have little income or below the poverty level and they need some help. We're supposed to help them. But the poor here in the United States are not like the poor in other countries. And I've mentioned that to you before. They have nothing. Uh, the kids, most of the kids, they have a shirt and they have a pair of shorts and that's it. And a lot of them don't have shoes and they don't have health care. Uh, they're lucky to survive. The infant mortality rate is higher than 50% in some of these countries. And they are genuinely poor. I've seen children laying on sticks that are elevated above the ground with just a, a lean-to covering them, and that is their home. And the rest of the time, they're sorting fish by the bank of a river that is just polluted and, and disgusting that is out there. Those are the poor. And the Lord says, don't neglect the poor who are out there. Help them. Bring them the gospel, certainly, but do something to assist them in their life. So we have to use wisdom in that. Even in the city of El Cajon, they are putting up signs. 
please do not give money to the panhandlers. It just encourages them to remain homeless and to use drugs. So we know that we can use the wisdom that God gives us in that as well. Then there's a, a proper prayer to offer. I have seven, eight points on this. Wholeheartedly, Jeremiah 29, verse 13 you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart, not half-heartedly. You ever see a relationship where one of the individuals in the relationship, they're just giving a half-hearted effort, whatever. You didn't call me. You didn't let me know. Yeah, no, whatever. If you're using that term, whatever, it's probably not good. Uh, contrition or repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now this specifically is for the Jews. But it is also for us as well. And then if you offer it in faith. Therefore I tell you whatever you ask in prayer. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. As long as you pray according to God's will. Remember not to heap it upon yourself. If you have the faith that you're going to receive it, you'll receive it. Also, uh, holiness or righteousness, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so we want to make sure that we're confessing our sins both to each other and to the lord and then there's obedience first john three twenty one. dear friends if our hearts do not condemn us we have confidence before god and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him and also uh, we should be brief now this is authored by solomon who at the end of his life it seems he turned uh, or became in an apostate state but uh, he says here in Ecclesiastes 5.2, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Uh, so that's an encouragement. But we are also encouraged from Scripture, like in the Psalms, pour out your heart to God, but have it be directed. Don't go on and on and on in a run-on. You know, are there people who like to communicate? I'll say it nicely, to communicate? And they just keep on communicating, and you went, and you try to say, you try to interject, and you're not able to interject because they go from one thought to the next, and it just keeps on going, and you're just there for support. You just close the mouth, and oh, hmm, and you can say things, but there are people that are like that. I don't think that's how we're supposed to pray to God. Just keep on running on. It, it's like prayer and supplication. You're asking God. Meditation. You're listening. To God. I think we need to listen. You've heard the adage, right? You have two ears and one tongue. Listen twice as much as you speak. And I think that that's good advice. Uh, and then avoid vain repetition. Matthew 6, 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard because of their much speaking. That's the King James. <clears throat> there is a Christian sect that does this. Hail Marys, our fathers. You say them over and over, and you think that it's okay to do that. By the way, I've been going through uh, A Woman Rides the Beast by Dave Hunt. been listening to that. And you know, the, a lot of the things that the Catholic Church has done through the history of the Catholic Church are just horrendous. Uh, there are a couple of popes. They had 400 servants, all female, all young. Yeah, I don't think that's probably a good idea. Uh, the Huguenots, they were massacred by the popes. You know, there, there were certain sects of people that turned away from Catholicism. And if you did not uh, repent and turn back towards the Catholic faith, the Catholic Church, you were killed. Millions have literally been killed by the Catholic Church. The corruption that is there. Did you know that it was the Catholic Church that paved the way for those in Nazi Germany to move to South America? It was the Catholic Church that did that. And that's the Jews found out and that's how they're able to track them to South America. And I have a major problem with the doctrine of salvation with the Catholic Church. They do hold to the established pillars of the Christian faith. 
death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, the, the Trinity, all of that they hold to. <clears throat> but they add to it, which Paul calls an accursed thing, they add to it the works. That if you don't do the right works, you may not get to heaven. And no one is assured of going to heaven. Uh, most people go to purgatory unless you buy your way out with money. That was the greatest money uh, grab in the Catholic Church that they ever came up with, the indulgences. And it's good that we are informed on uh, issues like this, the Catholic Church. Are there Catholics who believe? I think that there are Catholics that believe. But I think most Catholics are ignorant of the fact of what the Catholic Church has done throughout the history of the Catholic Church. Now, Patty grew up a Catholic. I did not uh, grow up a Catholic. And, and she has different experiences. But most people don't know what the Catholic Church has done. And is there corruption today? in the Catholic Church. Is the sky blue? Is the ocean deep? Is the space dark when you get out? Yeah, there is, but there's corruption in the heart of every individual throughout the world. We just need to be discerning, and if you have somebody who is a Catholic relative, give them the gospel, pure and simple. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart, you know the, the drill on that. That's all that it takes. You don't have to work your way through purgatory. You, you don't have to suffer for your sins here and also in a place before you get to see Christ because they don't believe that Christ's work was um, efficacious enough. It was not sufficient for you to go directly to be with the Father. And there's so many doctrines that are bad, and it's probably because they've been around for so long that they've just been in, incorporated into their worship. And so just be aware of that. Uh, and so, again, in closing on that particular part, I do believe there are some Catholics who are saved that have Jesus Christ and they follow him, but they are being misled by some of the doctrines that are taught in the Catholic Church. So avoid vain repetition. <clears throat> and also, when you can't put your prayer into words, <clears throat> God hears your heart. That was a quote. And I think that that's true. I, I think there's a time where we run out of words and you might just say, Lord, you know, help me. And that's all you have to say. And the Lord knows. And then there's this idea of being watchful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, this word watchful, if you do a search for this particular word, there's a lot of verses that come up, and it's interpreted different ways. But to be watchful means to be alert, be aware, keep awake or wake up, be on your guard for the evil and the good. And I think Scripture lets us know that being watchful is the opposite of being asleep. First Thessalonians 5, 6 says, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. And that word alert and self-controlled is the same word for watchful in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. So what are we supposed to be watchful for? What are we watching? What, what's out there that we're supposed to be alert to that we're not sleeping? Certainly, the things like evil... We're supposed to be watchful of evil that is out there. You should be able to discern what evil is. But if you have this view of the world that there really is no such thing as evil, it is only error, it's redefined. Some religions have said that. It, you know, what you perceive as evil is only error. It's just going in the wrong direction. No, there's this thing called evil. Now, to remind you about evil, <clears throat> what is evil? Is evil a thing? No, evil is not a thing. Evil is like rust on an automobile. You've heard me say this before, just to remind you, though. <clears throat> it is like rot in a tree. It cannot exist without the tree, just like rust cannot exist without the metal. And so the the evil that we have in our lives is a corruption of what is good. And it is a privation. It means if you <clears throat> look at the rust, the end result of the rust, when evil comes to full fruition, is nothing. There is nothing there. That's why evil is not a thing. When the rot has been brought to completion, what is there? 
Nothing is there. Evil is not a thing. Uh, I've given you the syllogism before. Uh, God created everything. Evil is a thing. Therefore, God created evil. I believe that that syllogism is a cursed one. It is not true. God did not create evil. The way it goes properly is God created all things. Evil is not a thing. Therefore, God did not create evil. Evil came from the corruption of good, and we know that that came through Satan, uh, the Lucifer in the garden. He was already transformed from an angel of light into something that was evil. And, of course, Adam and Eve brought evil into our world, the corruption of the heart, the fallen nature. And at that point, I believe it was the spirit that died in them that God gave them. Because God said, in that day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so what else are we supposed to be watching out for? I believe we're supposed to be watching out for those things that bring us temptation. Now, a little bit more lighthearted with temptation. I like donuts. I like almost every kind of donut. I see donuts and I walk by Mary's or drive by Mary's over there and it is a temptation and I tell myself, no, no donuts. And I I like the cinnamon ones, I I like the glaze, I like the ice caked, I like the, oh, just, I, I could go on and on with those. I like donuts and I could just, if I had a dozen donuts there, it wouldn't take me too long before I finished the dozen donuts. I would feel terrible afterwards, but I, I would just eat them. And, and so I'm supposed to keep my eyes straight as I go past Mary's Donuts, except on occasion I indulge. You know, I'll go by. But that's not sin to have a donut or two or six. You, you just want to make sure you don't overdo it, right? So that's the lighthearted part of temptation. But there are temptations which lead to evil or sin. Matthew chapter 26 verse 41 says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And that's exactly what happens to me. The body is weak. I want that. And whatever it is. Or sleep. Sometimes, you know, you have to deprive yourself of sleep because you have a deadline. You have to do something. And don't fall asleep. The disciples are supposed to pray for Jesus. Be aware. Be alert. Be watchful. And they fell asleep. And Jesus goes, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh just cannot endure. You guys know what it is to hit a wall? Uh, Now, athletes have this happen. I've had this happen once in my life, not that I'm an athlete. But when I was in college, we decided to ride our bikes, bicycles, from Chula Vista, because we were getting ready for a several thousand mile bike trip, from Chula Vista to Green Valley Falls. And we got, we get all the way up there, you know, and we started spreading out. So each one of us, we were told which way to go. And I got sidetracked. I ended up by, I think, a nudist colony or something up there. That, and and I, I, I was just almost dead tired. And I turned around and I, I just said, but I'm shutting down. I could feel my body just go. It's like the lever's being pulled. And your body goes, you're, you're going to lay down? You're going to fall asleep. And I, I just, I had to lay down by the side of the road. And here comes the van. They're looking for me. <laughs> they arrived. Salvation came. I was able to get back in the van. And it was just like a mile away. I had almost made it, but it was a mile away. You know, and, and that's the hitting of the wall. The, the flesh is weak. But the spirit is willing. And that was a long way. And that was all uphill going that way. Maybe you've had the same thing where maybe not physically, but spiritually, you've hit the wall. You know, I'm done. I don't know what else to do. The Lord, you're going to have to handle this. And you go on from there. And that's why we even cease to pray. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh just says, no, I'm giving up. Mark 14 reiterates this in verse 38. It says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. Now, we are also supposed to be watchful in order to avoid harm or loss. And in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 40, Jesus is speaking here. He says, 
Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour you do not expect him. And this idea of a thief, if you're watching, the thief will not break in. If you're not watching, the thief can break in and you can suffer harm or loss. And to relate all this to, we're watching for the Lord. His commands, what he wants us to do, the the, uh, dictates that he gives us, we're to follow them, be sober, be alert. When we do that and he comes back, we are ready. We're all set to go. We're not asleep. We're not going to suffer harm or loss because of our behavior. And so that's another reason why we'd be watching. And the same word is used in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, translated a little differently. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's just looking for a victim, looking for someone that he can subdue and cast into sin and just have them suffer loss of any kind of reward. What else are we supposed to be watching for? The Lord's return. Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In Matthew 25, 13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. The Lord's coming back. Now, some people scoff at that. And there's even the full preterist view that he's not coming back. It's just continuing the way it is. It's just going on. I believe it's a heretical view. If you know anything about eschatology there. But what are we supposed to be watching for in the Lord's return? Are the clouds coming? He's going to be coming in the clouds. Is that here or is that in Jerusalem? Is that worldwide? It's just kind of confusing. We're supposed to be watching the signs of the times. What will the times be like towards the end? We are in those times and it's going to be on a global scale. We, We know that, for instance, Revelation chapter 13 talks about the Antichrist, right? And the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to be the ruler over everything. And we can see the world going to a globalist point of view, whether it's with commerce. Look what happens. We get the COVID thing. The whole world shuts down. And and then the idea around the world of the behaviors of those who are in charge and what they're demanding. For instance, is this about control? Everything that we're going through, it is. Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone, especially Dr. McCullough, who is an expert on COVID and uh, the vaccines and all of that, and he's spoken in several different places. He goes, you know, I've tried, and this is an indirect quote, I'm paraphrasing. He says, I've tried to figure out why they won't allow treatment for the COVID virus. How, how people have to wait before they're almost on death's door to go to the hospital. And then once they go to the hospital, they may end up on the ventilator. And if you're on a ventilator or incubated, I think is what they call it. If you're on that, chances are you're not coming off of it. Chances are you're going to die. Why did, and Dr. McCullough would say, why aren't there field hospitals handling this? We know how to treat it. And he has lots of information out there on it. And the one thing he said was, it's about control. It's about controlling the masses. And is there misinformation out there? Is there suppression of proper information out there? Is it on a worldwide basis? It is. The masks, the vaccines, the freezing of the bank accounts. Have you guys seen that in Canada? If somebody gave money to support the truckers, if you're watching what's going on up there, their bank accounts have been frozen and seized And they're under suspect. And they just said that anybody who gave to the truckers is now going to be investigated over the next six months. And then there's the seizing of property, which I just said. There's the punishment of the protesters that are going against the establishment. Did you see the news yesterday of one of these protesters up in Canada? An elderly woman was trampled on by a horse. She was peaceful 
and the police just got the horse right on her and was trampling her. It's like, because why? They don't want the mandates, and you have to have the mandates, or you're going to be hurt, killed, injured. There's a loss of freedom, like being fired for not conforming to the dictates of the government. How many people in the military have been let go because they wouldn't receive the vaccine and no religious exemptions allowed? Um, January 29th, there's an article out there about a man denied a kidney transplant because he wouldn't get the vaccine. He said, I'd rather die than get the vaccine. February 20th, Cook Children's Medical Center in Texas denied kidney transplant to a high schooler because he did not have the vaccine. A high schooler would not give it to them because he is not conforming. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember the name for this. It's called blackmail. They're blackmailing individuals. If you don't conform, then you're not going to be able to have goods or services rendered to you. Who is going to do this in the future? It's the Antichrist. He also forces or causes or requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the vaccine, which is in the name of the beast or the number of his name. I'm just kidding. It's not the vaccine. You you see how this is going in that direction? The vaccine is not the mark of the beast, but it's going in that direction. If you don't conform to what the government says, you're either going to be persecuted. By the way, if you... Read further in the book of Revelation what happens to those people that don't take the mark. They lose their head. Their heads are cut off. That happens in the book of Revelation. You must conform. You're being forced to conform. And the more we see that, we're watching. The more we see that, the more we see the book of Revelation coming up to fruition, the beginning of it. We're not there yet, but it's heading in that direction. More so now than any other time in history. This is a global thing. And that's what the Lord wants us watching. Titus 2.13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're looking in that direction. We're being watchful. We're not asleep. We're not just saying, well, you know, it's just the way of the world. We ought to conform to this, and the government's going to protect us. They're going to heal us. They're going to take care of us. They're going to provide everything for us that we need. And, and that is just a ruse. That is a lie. That is not going to happen. I believe it is also about control. And one final thing on this. The truckers protest in Canada. You know, they've started to disband it and such with force. There has not been one single Western leader that has condemned this behavior. Not one. What does that tell you? They're just waiting. If this goes through, wow, we can do that elsewhere. If it's being suppressed and put down and it's effective, wow, we can take that step as well. January 6th, ring a bell. So it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and being thankful. Of course, First Thessalonians 5.16, which I already mentioned, actually in verse 18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. Thank you, Lord, that I just had my femoral artery pierced. Yeah, no. things like the calamities that come along you don't give thanks for the calamity you just give thanks to God hey you know whether he takes you home or he keeps you here it's all going to work for your benefit because you love him you follow him 1st Chronicles 16:41 Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. 1st Chronicles 16:34 Give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever. This idea give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. It is in Psalm 106:1, 107:1, 118:1, 118:29, 136:1, 1, and if you go through Psalm 136 Not only is there give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Every verse, 26 verses in Psalm 136 says his love endures forever. You just say it over and over and over. You get the picture 26 times. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have this attitude of thankfulness no matter what we're doing. Thank you, Lord, for the air that I breathe. Thank you, Lord, for the place that I live. Thank you, Lord, for the time that I was born. Thank you, Lord, for the donut well, maybe that's sinful. You can ask for that. But you get the idea. You give thanks to the Lord for everything that you experience in this life. And he goes on in verse 3, back in Colossians chapter 4. 
And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So we should be praying for others who go out and give the gospel. I think that's the lesson from here. But we have to be careful how we act towards those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. This is what it says in verse 5. It says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, how do we speak to somebody who is not a believer? There are those who are, quote-unquote, and I think there's a time and place, hellfire and brimstone. But for us, when we speak normally, it says, let your conversation be full of grace. What is grace? It's beauty, style, pose, poise, charm, kindness, decency. If you walk up to somebody and say, you know you're going to hell, would you like to find out how not to? That is not going to be conducive to a good relationship starting out a conversation. It's just not going to work that way. Seasoned with salt, which means flavorful, not a bad taste in your mouth. You want to make sure that when you're talking to somebody, you have a good conversation. It's going back and forth. You don't dominate it. You ask their questions. You be a a representative of Jesus Christ. And this doesn't mean we're supposed to accept everything that they hope we will, a person who is an unbeliever. Why don't we come to their side? Why does it have to be your way? I know one couple. The husband is an independent. The wife is a Democrat. But they lean conservative. So they want all sides. They, they want to know all sides of the issue. It's not hard. There are things that are good, righteous, holy, and things that are bad, evil, sinful. Which one is it? Which party has less of the sin and more of the righteousness? I don't care if it's a peace and freedom party or the green party or whatever party it is. That's how you judge it. You judge it based on morality. And if somebody comes along and they're of a different party, speak to them kindly and lead them not towards the right party. Lead them to Jesus Christ. And once you lead them to Jesus Christ, the rest takes care of itself. We don't have to worry about that. We get involved in these intramural discussions and wars, and we don't have to. We just point to Jesus Christ. And if you live like that, you're going to have a war on your hand. You don't have to worry about it too much. Now, closing out the book here, just mention several people. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, one who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him if he comes to you Welcome him. And this is because Mark abandoned Paul in uh, Acts chapter 15. And he, he had a big argument with Barnabas over that. Jesus, verse 11, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God mature and fully assured i vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in laodicea and areopolis our dear friend luke the doctor and demas sends greetings give my greetings to the brothers in laodicea and nympha and the church in her house after this letter has been read to you see that it is read in the church of the laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from laodicea which we do not have tell archippus see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so the application of all this, of course, is the same as we started. Prayer, watchful, and thankful. We are to understand how we're supposed to pray. We're to offer 
prayers not only for ourselves but for others intercession and we're supposed to be wise how we treat others who are not in the faith and this is the commission that god has given to us be prayerful partners of jesus christ and also learn how to speak to others so let's pray father we we thank you for the instruction in this little letter that paul wrote help us to be watchful the things that are taking place out there Help us not to be worried, to be thankful. We understand that your plan is coming together, and we need not fear. But Lord, help us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We know that you listen to us when we pray in that fashion, and help us to serve you the same way, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray these things, and everyone said, please stand.